Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you and you and you and you and you and you and you. Definitely you and definitely you. Good morning, everyone. It's the 1st of December. Merry bloody Vlogmas. Oh, yeah. It all starts tonight. Tonight. Welcome if you're listening on podcast. Apologies for the re remarkably loud nonsense that's dribbling out of my mouth. Morning, Victoria, Grace, Diane, Lloyd. If you hear us referring to names, morning, Carol Naismith. And you're listening on podcast. These are all our lovely followers, subs, family guests, family members, friends, lovers, associates online. Morning, Elaine Denning. It is perishing up here. Gridlocked roads and Elling. Wonderful word of the word. Whatever you put a use of the word perishing there. Vlogmas is starting tonight. Tonight! Got a text. All that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, it kicks off tonight in suitably, well, I don't know, shambolic fashion. Let's put it that way. This is not your, what are they called? Is it Zoella? This is not your Noella, Zoella type vlogmas. This is your warts and all. In fact, this is your genital warts uh, vlogmas. That's, that's, that's what we're going for. Um, we don't go for any, it's all shits and giggles, but then sometimes with Dina it's giggles and shits. And uh, <laughs> you just never know which way it's going to go. Nanny Dye's going to be in there. She was out on the lash last night. <laughs> she was out, larging it up. I heard rumours, the rumour mill was that she was on a table dancing whilst imbibing uh, fizzy water. That's what I heard last night from Fleur. So, Mum, I hope you had a good night. I hope you realised all those dreams that you haven't yet realised. Danica, hello, Victoria Grace. Danica, yeah, I didn't realise I changed my name. Ah, oh, Vicky. Uh, so it's not Vicky, it's Victoria. Grace Ann Martin, good morning. Happy December, everyone. Freezing in Glasgow. It's minus two here. What is it in Glasgow? Minus 83,000 million. Uh, make it the mother of all vlogmas, said Chris White. No pressure, no pressure, no pressure like pressure. Under pressure. <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I mean, God only knows. I mean, look, we haven't got anyway. <laughs> Nothing's happened. Loft ain't open. As you know, loft gate happens later. I think loft, I think loft opening's happening this Sunday anyway. Um, God only knows what they're gonna find up there, but I tell you what, it's not going according to plan as it is. Uh, Reese Roberts, no, hello Mark, just to let you know, Anya Taylor-Joy is playing a younger day. Yes, no, I did say it was a prequel. I, I realized it was a prequel to the last film, but thank you for clarifying. I wasn't, I wasn't aware she was playing the same character, a younger version. If you haven't, if you're wondering what we're talking about, that's the new trailer for the new Mad Max film that landed late last night. Uh, but is up this morning and it's on the channel. It's so cold here, the penguins are sitting in front of the fire, says Dawny Harvey. Give those penguins a little ruffle behind the ears. Do penguins have ears? They must have ears, otherwise they wouldn't hear an iceberg cracking, would they? Um, but uh, you don't see their ears, do you? Penguins have invisible ears. In fact, most birds have invisible ears, don't they? Unlike Benjamin Netanyahu, he doesn't. He has very visible ears, just like Prince Charles has very visible ears too. So, um, you know, some people have ears and... Some don't, especially birds. <laughs> um, super hangover day today, says O'Murder. Um, hi, O'Murder. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. It sounds wrong, doesn't it? Said like that, O'Murder, O'Murder. 
Hope 2505, we've missed you too, but welcome back. So, what are we going to be talking about today? It's the 1st of December, and all that kind of shizzle and shebang and shibup-bup-bup. Shane, Shane McGowan, lead singer of the Pogues, has, has sadly passed away. Um, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about, about him um, and a particular episode between him and Kiefer, uh, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. Um, well, we're also going to be talking about, whoa, Piers Morgan reveals the names of the allegedly racist royals um and we're going to be talking about a eurostar train that was tracked for eight hours and then we're going to talk about the sad fact that the uh, war has res resumed in um israel and palestine uh so that's that's frustrating sad and depressing so we'll be talking about that a little bit later too and obviously at the end we will be doing a very quick rendition of the Christmas quiz now um uh, sorry the Friday quiz and just to say in terms of uh vlogmas tonight I believe Nadia has suggested that we do a premiere so it means that some of us one of us all of us maybe will be alongside you whilst you watch it if not in person certainly in text text type whatever it is so guys Let's push on with coffee moaning. Uh, good morning, Blake Gray. Good morning, everyone. And good morning, Mark and Nadia. Can't wait until Vlogmas tonight. <laughs> um, okay, so um, let's, let's, let's remember Shane McGowan. Shane McGowan, McGowan. I can, I can never go. I always struggle with these double. If there's more than one way to pronounce a surname, I'll pronounce it both. Uh, obviously, Shane McGowan, the uh, poet musician, uh, as The Guardian describes him, of uh, the Pogues. I think it's sad that perhaps his most lasting legacy to the mainstream will be a Christmas song, right? I mean, and, I, and it's a lovely Christmas song. But my God, his, when you look into his lyrics and when you look at what he was writing about and you, you and, and then you, what I love about him is you sort of, you would not expect it because we all have these preordained prejudices, don't we? If someone looks a certain way, behaves a certain way, has a certain sort of anti-establishmentarianism about them. Because I think the Pogues are a punk band, right? He was a punk. He was a punk, uh, punk Irish punk. Um, and, and then you sort of, you know, you look, he had his, uh, the album uh, Rum's Sodomy and The Lash. I mean, you know, he, you know, dark, twisted wordsmithery. Uh, but because we all saw a man with no teeth and, you know, often sort of seemed quite, not quite there, one struggled to kind of see or perhaps give him the credit for being an artist, an artist, an artist and a creative. And that's what I love about the arts is that it doesn't matter what someone looks like, how they present or how they behave. You just don't know what beauty and brilliance lies inside. Now, obviously, lots and lots of musicians, uh, music sort of people uh, are paying tribute to him, um, lots of, uh, you know, um, sort of discussion about, you know, the, the music, obviously his music, uh, his lyricism, the lyrics, the lyrics of his songs. But one of the stories that really cut through for me, which I think goes to the heart of what I've just been saying, was Kiefer Sutherland, Donald Sutherland's son. Uh, uh, he, he shared an anecdote years ago, which apparently, I don't know if you've seen it, it's back online. It's, it's kind of being shared all over social media. It's a clip of him, um, which has been shared in all the tributes that are kind of going around. 
Um, these were uh, these were comments during an interview that uh, Kiefer Sutherland did on the Late Late Show in 2019, um, and. <laughs> Apparently, this is, this is the story of when he describes ending up in a fight with Shane McGowan. And, uh, and, and apparently, Shane McGowan had his arm in a cast. And even Kiefer Sutherland said it, it didn't seem like a fair fight. But he said, uh, what does he say? He said, Shane McGowan at that time had a cast on his right arm that looked as well lived in as anything I've ever seen. And he didn't have a lot of teeth. So fighting seemed unfair. So they had a good old brawl and fight. But apparently at the end of the night, at the end of the night, um, uh, Shane McGowan said all his friends had left. And then so he came back and he apologised to Kiefer Sutherland and said, can I, can I, I've got a bit of sleep. And I think Kiefer Sutherland was stay, staying in a hotel. And so he invited him up to his hotel. He bedded down. He fell asleep um, on the couch. And, uh, and he talks about how the following morning, um, uh, you know, Shane McGowan was gone, which again is, is a contradiction, isn't it? When you think that someone drinks a lot, canes it, gets into brawls, up early and out. That's, you know, not lying around. Um, but Kiefer Sutherland said this. He, when Sutherland got up the, early the next day, he said all the blankets were perfectly folded and there was a note that Shane McGowan had written on hotel stationery. And it was possibly the most beautiful letter I'd ever read. It was like poetry. It was a thank you note, but it was so generous. The things he had to say about me, our night, humanity, and it was quite long. And this is the bit. Kiva Sutherland said, I've kept this letter because it changed my perspective. Don't judge a book by its cover and very rarely trust first encounters. And I think that's a lovely sort of testimony. A lovely testimony to, you know, yes, when you see someone, you see a fragment of them. You see a slice of them, don't you? Like in a pie chart, you get one piece of the pie. And the bit that you see, say you meet them on one or two or three occasions, that's just that day. You can't extrapolate from that their entire character. Unfortunately, on here, you get a lot of us. So you probably can form quite a quite strong. So, but the other weird thing about this channel even is you see us for a maximum of, what, an hour? A day maximum. There's another 23 hours there, all going on, doing other stuff. Do you know what I mean? So, and we get a sense of you sometimes from just a comment here or there, which is why only after three or four really nasty comments, you'll get blocked because, you know, one, two, three, four, and then you're out. But do you know what I mean? I, I, I think that was a, I think that was a rather beautiful, and what I like about that is in the telling of a story in which basically it was a smash em up brawl fight, drunken fueled kickabout about, I think it was about Scotland, I think the original argument was. Um, they, you know, this man who you would draw all sorts of assumptions from him that night, wouldn't you, in the pub? You'd be like, wow, fucking hell, what an absolute nutcase, what a nut job. No wonder he's got no teeth. But actually, folds his, the folding the blankets is the detail that really sort of, sort of struck me and, and stayed with me in the, t in the telling of that story. So out of male bravura and stupidity, comes deep sensitivity. And so again, it's just another, I, th I just think, I love anything that's a reminder that you just don't, you don't judge a book by its cover. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Lucy Heaney, he was wild, but everyone who met him said he was a kind soul. Exactly, I wanna see, let me just see if I can find, um, I just wanna see if I can find any of the lyrics. Here we go. He could write extremely funny songs uh, from the body of an American's song. He said, the men all started telling jokes and the women, they got frisky. By five o'clock in the evening, every bastard there was pisky. 
Pisky, I, I love that. Um, very beautiful. Uh, here's another song, was it a debut single, Dark Streets of London. He talks about every time that I, oh yeah, no, Dark Streets of London, self-release, when they were called Pogue Mahone. It's a song that takes place against the backdrop of pubs and the bookies. Um, it draws on his own experiences of mental illness and the fact that he spent a period of time in a psychiatric hospital. And these are the lyrics. Every time that I look on the first day of summer takes me back to the place where they gave me ECT, electric shock treatment, and the drugged up psychos with death in their eyes. I'm buggered to damnation and I haven't got a penny. I mean, take his lyrics, pop them in a book, publish it by Faber and Faber, and you've possibly got a poet laureate. Once again, guys, once again. Am I right in thinking he wasn't born in... Was he born in Ireland? Or was he educated in England? I know, I know he came over to England. <sighs> to Shane. Oh, God, I'm sure he drank much stronger than that, but that's all I could cope with these days. Oh, sorry. Excuse me, I'm just going to get a tissue. Oh, Shaney. Oh. So. Yeah, Shane McGowan. Shane McGowan. Um, I love that. I love the Keith Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. Keith Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. Okay, so who knows who the royals are that have been named as being allegedly racist in this book that the author says he never sent the names to the publisher. The publisher in Holland has said, we got the names. He said we didn't send the names. Then other people, Piers Morgan announced the names on his show. Uh, and now the palace are considering all options. The palace are considering all options when it comes to potentially suing or taking action against the reveal of these names. Does anyone know them? Um, well, I mean, I am only reporting this from um, uh, ITV News. <laughs> uh, King Charles and the Princess of Wales were identified as the royals who were alleged to have had conversations about Archie's skin colour in a new book which examines the fallout of the Sussexes' exit from the royal family. That's a lit direct quote from ITV News. Um, and one wonders, doesn't one? One. One wonders whether. Um, do we have a right to know? Should we know? I, do they have a right to sue? Is it important that we do know? Does it change our opinions on them? I, I, if I'm honest, I was surprised it was those such, two such high-ranking uh, people. Do we know for sure it was, you know, the, going back to what Nadia was saying yesterday, was, what was the intention? Was this chat from within the sort of, if you like, um, safely assumed loving confines of a family? Uh, or, you know, were these asked in a way that was, you know, not particularly pleasant? Bex89, trust Piers to get involved. He loves it. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's face it, Piers Morgan. I mean, I have to say, Piers Morgan has, has done a great job, I think, of presenting a very balanced analysis of the Palestinian-Israel uh, crisis. Um, but we have talked a lot about how it's verging on unhealthy, his obsession with Meghan. Um, and we've talked also a lot about feeling very, you know, like Meghan, I, I personally am of the opinion that Meghan has been sort of, you know, maligned in a low level, even if not conscious, but also sometimes very conscious racist fashion, a uh, victim of racism and establishment sort of, an establishment sort of, you know, 
a sort of hostility or judgment of colour. So, and I know, I know not everyone agrees with that. that that's, just, that's just my feeling on that. Um, but, and I, know, I also know that a lot of people thought that Harry and Meghan are, are, are just whiners and da-da-da-da and all the rest of it. And, um, and I've also feel that, that, you know, they've made some bad choices and they perhaps shouldn't have done the Netflix series or written the book quite so soon and all that kind of stuff. So I think they've been mis misadvised, badly advised. They've made some bad judgments. Um, but what do we think about this? Uh, oh, sorry, Ali says Omid uh, has a history of lying, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, Megan would say anything to throw Kate under a bus, says Dawny Harvey, really. Uh, Rebecca Lunk, my brother is pale and my sister-in-law has olive skin and we speculated about their children's skin colour. Is that racist? The, that's the question that Nadia was asking. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a curious one, isn't it? So being named, does that, will that change everyone? I mean, at the end of the day, if they sue or if they take action, it's not going to change the fact that everyone knows. They can't, they can't put the names back in a bottle, can you? Can't put the genie back in the bottle. Can't rewind Piers Morgan, can you? Um, Steph Whelan, Piers Morgan, we need to give him a name like we do Potato Head. Can't stand him. Always had to pipe up Piers. Okay, uh, yeah, Peary. So was it Kate who said it? Are they one of Well, the, the names that have bubbled to the surface are the King and Kate. Um, now, if things were true, if that were true, could there be an, an argument as to why that's why Megan definitely felt a sort of hostility, maybe, from Kate, all that kind of stuff? Um, do we care? I mean, it's everywhere. It's all in the news everywhere. I mean, it, I bet the publishers in Holland are going, what the hell's going on? Other books have named Camilla, says Ali. Reese Roberts, and a person of colour, you can't always vocalise exactly what you feel when it comes to these racially sensitive experiences, but you instinctively know it is, and people have to have more sympathy. There you go. Yeah, there's nothing worse than someone saying, um, it's not racist, to someone who feels like they're the victim of racism, and the person saying it is white. You can't say to someone it's not racist. It's, it's a little bit like saying, it's a bit like the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. You know, Israel, you know, under, called out uh, October the 7th as a genocide. No one's going to, for a minute, query that. Uh, but it seems quite all right to query it the other way around, which is curious, isn't it? When even more people have died. But, I, you know, <laughs> you know self-defence. So anyway, we're going to get to all of that in a minute. So... Um, so yeah, you're right, you know, unless you have stepped in someone's shoes or experienced it yourself, you don't know, and, and you can't know, and you won't know. Um, and in fact, you know, if it was, you know, maybe King Charles and, and, and Kate did say it in a very sort of benign and sort of innocent fashion. Uh, they didn't mean anything by it. But how it's felt and how it's received can't be denied, right? But anyway, now we know, now we know. Um, I think it might, well, I suppose you, maybe you just can't name them. Maybe they didn't name them to begin with because, you know, there was a fear that they'd get hammered by the, by the royal household. So uh, Palace, the, the royal palace are considering all options. Uh, this all happens as the king arrived in Dubai where he is uh, a delivery or has delivered his opening address to the UN's COP28 climate uh, summit. Um, COP a lot of that. I don't know what COP's going to do. Uh, when asked if he was okay, the king said, I'm all right, thank you very much, just about having had a rather ancient birthday recently, recovering from the shock of all of that. So, uh, so that's all quite funny. Um, 
so that's the naming of, of everyone. Um, I'm just moving through the Storys Palace, considering all options. Okay, this I just wanted to mention this, because what the hell would you do? Inhumane conditions as Eurostar passengers stranded for eight hours. Eight hours. Passengers were stranded for eight hours on a Eurostar train, getting colder and colder. 700 passengers heading for Amsterdam. It left St Pancras at 8.16am yesterday, but completely broke down half an hour later, just outside the Channel Tunnel. It wasn't until 10 past four after the train stopped that Eurostar announced the train is now on the move and arrangements were being made to bring passengers back to London. It was caused by an overhead cable fall. And this also happened to a train outside Streatham. Being cold on a train is horrendous. There were no toilets. Oh, imagine that. The toilets were out of order. Oh, a total nightmare. It's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, oh, how would you cope with that? Oh, Chloe Hopper, so, Hooper, sorry, so are we, so are we. Um, let me just turn the light on this stuff. Oh God, it's so bright. Um, okay, so we're gonna move on to, before we then move on to the quiz. Imagine the claustrophobia, just imagine it. Um, so we're going to quickly talk about, um, obviously, the uh, temporary pause in the uh, hostilities in um, Gaza and Israel have, you know, they've come to an end. Uh, Israel has started pounding. Israel claims that um, Hamas broke the ceasefire. Uh, I think some more hostages uh, were handed over again today, um, despite this. Um, all we can do, as you rightly say, is pray for peace. I think something like... 54 Palestinians have already died this morning um, since since Israeli planes have started flying over. I just want to clarify something. There was an interesting, Nadia made this point yesterday, that, you know, the coverage about the awful incident of um, the innocents that were killed in, um, I think, in the West Bank or in Jerusalem. Um, it, this, was, this was an attack totally reprehensible, totally condemnable. Um, but it was interesting that, it was reported in terms of the Israeli victims, whereas in the mainstream media, I mean, all, you know, all, all of the kind of 250 Palestinians have died in the West Bank. And I haven't heard any of those numbers mentioned on, say, Radio 4, which we had on yesterday, or Sky News. Whereas they, Sky News and Radio 4 talked about the tragic incident of um, the, you know, Israelis who were killed. Uh, and then there was the killing. And in fact, I think one Israeli was, was accidentally killed by their own forces. I think what I'm trying to say is there really is not balance here. There really is not balance. So for the 250 deaths, now, this, again, like for like, by the same standard, you don't, because one person hurts you, you don't go, you know, the idea of, right, we shoot right back. So Hamas shouldn't have done what they did in the first instance, but that first shooting gets the attention. Do you see how the narrative gets skewed in the mainstream media? So that most people will hear about the shooting of the tragic shooting of the Israelis at the bus stop. They'll hear that as the start of violence in the West Bank and haven't heard, because the mainstream media has ignored it, the 250 people who've died prior to it. Now, obviously, Arab-centric news services have been covering that. Some balanced news services, like balanced, but sometimes balanced, CNN, New York Times, they have covered it. But it's just... Just an interesting skew where the emphasis lies. And that is about not not reporting the truth. This is where, that's not even propaganda. And that, this is about how attention and, and publicity is given to one side and not the other. That's another very indirect way of managing the narrative. 
being biased by omission, editing by omission. You couldn't, you couldn't call the BBC and say, but you, you denied that, they didn't deny that the other 250 died, they just didn't report them. It's a narrative, it's a different narrative to what the truth is. And I think one of the things that October the 7th, uh, is it, what's become such a hot potato around October the 7th is this word, word which is really important, called dehistoricization. Now, Nadia and I found this a comedian who was, I think he was, I think he's an Indian comedian, and he was talking about how, you know, Hamas started this, you know, October the 7th. And he made a sort of quip about that, saying, oh, what, have you just joined this at season four or whatever? Have you not watched the previous seasons? Because, yeah, they did October the 7th. It was awful, awful. We called it out. We named it for what it was. You know, Israel's 9-11. It was an eruption into a what felt like a more peaceful norm. But uh, it wasn't the first time this, you know, this wasn't the first part of the, of the story. And so just be mindful of how the story is delivered to us. It's not about whether what's being said is true or not. Also, something else that happens an awful lot is when you hear about violence or murders or deaths or killings, sometimes some of the mainstream uh, media will not name or identify who or what, what section of people has been hit. And so you just walk away from it, assuming it must be the terrorists. You know, it's, it's manipulation by omission as much as manipulation by direct manipulation. Do you get me? So this morning, so obviously, you know, so, so for example, a good example. You know, I'm sure militants did fire rockets into Israel. And I'm sure that that can be said to have been the reason that the ceasefire came to an end. But we also know, reported by the New York Times, the Washington Post, etc., mainstream media, that, um, that uh, the Israelis shot on, shot at Palestinians too. Uh, so why, why was that not considered potentially part of the breaking of the ceasefire? Because it doesn't suit the narrative. The narrative has to be, in the mainstream media, that the ceasefire has, you know, we've returned to war because Hamas did something wrong. Uh, and that's not to say that Hamas aren't always doing something wrong. But it pretends that Israel isn't doing things wrong. And this is, this is the point. Let's just have an equivalence here. This isn't about one side or the other, but let's be balanced in the coverage of, of what's going on here. So, yeah, so over 50 people have died in Gaza already. The bombing has happened. Um, a, lot of, a lot of nations in the Middle East are holding the US directly responsible. Many observers, uh, Middle Eastern observers, feel that America has, has it absolutely in its power to maintain a ceasefire. I do think that if things return to the level of intensity they were before the, the last week of, of no hostilities or limited hostilities, I think there's... I don't, am I on my own with this? Can I, ask you, can I ask you all this, regardless of what side of the fence you sit on? Isn't there something almost more perversely awful about there having been a pause and then returning to potentially the same sort of violence? Isn't there something almost... There's a sinister sort of dislocation of emotional aspect to this. It's not to say that the problem doesn't still exist, that Hamas needs to be dealt with, that Israel, Israel's apartheid approach to Palestine needs to be dealt with, but isn't there something, or sort of, isn't there a dislocation of humanity that it seems quite within the rules of war? 
okay to return to. And, and in fact, to even though it went on for far too long, it should have stopped, it shouldn't have happened. We've been totally against the, the scale and nature of the, uh, uh, you know, the offensive by Israel. That even if it had stopped at that point, there could have been some capacity to go, okay, well, that was an overlong and protracted period of self-defense and emotional response. Right, let's all pause and just take stock. The idea that we return to where we were, does that kind of suggest that it wasn't just about the hostages? I mean, we know it's about Hamas. But apparently the statistics show that for every um, Hamas militant that has allegedly been killed, 20 Palestinians have died. Or 20 other Palestinians, you know, 20 Palestinians have died. Lucy May, they hope people will lose hope and switch off. Absolutely, of course they do. And at the same time, most social media platforms are coming under assault by, you know, as much as there's propaganda and, and, and fake news and manipulation of the truth on the Hamas side of things, uh, there is also, um, you know, like there are just, there are legions of, of people co uh, contacting all the social media platforms to say, this piece about Palestine is this. And then in order to kind of play it safe, a lot of this content's being pulled down. So yeah, there's a, in the West, I think there is a strangling of the oxygen to this story. Omajan, sending you all of our love, Omajan, who, who was, I don't know if you're still there, my patients are left behind and so is my heart. Have you, oh, so you've come back out now since the bombardment has started again. Of course you will have done. Please stay, stay safe. Omajan Zadran has been in, in, um, in Gaza from the Egypt, Egyptian crossing. Um, sending you all of our regards, Omajan. I'm so sorry, it must be so hard to have to walk away from providing help as the hostilities re-erupt. I don't know, I just find that, I, I just think there's something even more considered about a return to the same intense bombardment. Elaine Denning, I think Israel were forced to take a break. The world was upon them, but there aren't enough people believing they shouldn't. No, no, I mean, and, and let's face it, the, the major, I, I think in the longer term, um, the US and the UK and other countries, this isn't about whether Israel had the right, to, Israel has every, absolutely the right to exist, to self-defense. It's about tactics and strategy. It's about, it's about proportionality. It's about what's the end game. I mean, you know, it doesn't take a genius to know that if you bomb an entire population, remove so many people, you are radicalizing the incoming new generation, for sure. That you might, I, I think what the policy is gonna be here is, is completely level um, Gaza to such a place of sort of lacking all infrastructure that it's an unattractive and unlivable option for the most people to stay there, they will end up forcibly needing to reach beyond the country. And once they step out of the country to a neighboring country or a sympathetic country or an Arab nation, they won't be allowed back in. I think there's, you know, if you remove all hope, all infrastructure, all society, and then not only have you removed everything, but then you leave a vacuum in which they are in, not in control of their own industry or commerce, so they have no way of managing the rebuild of Gaza. And so 
I think this is about levelling it and compromising it and hamstringing Gaza to such an extent that it just gives Israel, I don't know, 20, 30, potentially years, where whatever hostility does come at them is severely compromised. And I go back to this really odd kind of conundrum at the heart of all of this. Okay, let's put it this way. The West Bank isn't run by Hamas, okay, theoretically. So it's Fatah, the Palestinian Authority. What do you want to, so we have a democratically elected, um, you know, group in the West Bank that isn't Hamas, isn't a prescribed terrorist organisation. This is the question I want to ask. If the democratically elected non-Hamas governing body of the West Bank decided to, because it felt it had to, defend itself and attack and fight with Israeli forces, would that automatically make them also a prescribed terrorist organisation? Because if it does, what we're saying here is, is that Israel, like every other nation on the planet, has the right to have an army and to self-defence, but that Palestinians, not Hamas, but Palestinians don't. Do you see what's happened here? There's a curious detail in all of this, which, which really strikes me as something that, how are they ever going to resolve this? One of the rights, presumably, and I'm, we're all against all forms of war, but one of the rights of any country is some form of self-defence. Are we actually, in saying that organisations like Hamas, which commit terrible atrocities, are a prescribed terrorist organisation, are we saying, though, by extension, is there mission creep? Are we, by extension, also suggesting, actually, quite dangerously, that Palestinians don't have a right to defend themselves? Because if we are, then doesn't that give a pass for an oppressing country, an occupying country, a colonialised, you know, a colonial country? Doesn't that give that, doesn't, won't they then have the right, that when they flex the muscles, as we see in the settler communities, as the settlers take homes from the Palestinians, if a settler takes a home from a Palestinian and a Palestinian fights back, are they not simply defending themselves? Are, they, are Palestinians only allowed to defend themselves as individuals? Do they have no right to any form of collective self-defence? That, for me, would be one of the big question marks to, to have, uh, you know, around any negotiation, surely. Because if they're not, then you're never going to get a population that goes, oh, well, yeah, based on all the 75 years of history, then of course we trust you all. <laughs> I mean, there isn't 75 years of, 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 of nice treatment to look back on. Do you, see, do you see what I'm saying? It's complicated and it's tricky. And, uh, yeah. But I, that's what I think. I think, that, I think the plan is, is to absolutely reduce, reduce. Um, we'd love to meet you too, Amajan, Sadran. I think their plan is to reduce Gaza to absolute rubble. Um, and any suggestion that this is a forcible eviction of the population could be sort of, there could be a hands up kind of, no, it's not. We've just had to do what we've had to do. But you'll look at what's left behind and there's virtually nothing that any... And if you, what you've got to understand is they don't have control over their ability to rebuild. Because any of the materials that comes in to, be, to, to rebuild can be described as being potentially used or harnessed or hijacked and taken by Hamas. And they, that's not being around a bush. Of course, Hamas do take fuel and things. Um, to, it could be used to harm Israel.
Reese Roberts, and ultimately in humanity, we must confront the puzzling notion of why war is still utilised as the twisted resolution, which, spoiler alert, never resolves anything. <laughs> it just perpetuates death. Yeah, I mean, wars don't solve things. Um, Nix, I feel that Israel feels it can do whatever it wants with no consequences. It can. And the more they control what media comes out, the more the more what they can do will be presented in a sort of more reasonable fashion. So I think even in small details, which probably all of you, all of us, everyone has heard on the radio, shooting, Jerusalem, bus stop, oh, not good. We're all going about our lives and we hear that and we go, oh God, that's, you know, that's... But think about how that information has been drip-fed into the back of your mind. It, you know, it's considered. Okay. Anyway, all our hearts go out to all of those who are going to be caught up in the next wave of bombardments. And of course, we have a much trickier, finally on this, much trickier scenario. Most Gazans have been asked to go to the south, and the next part of this sorry, sorry tale is going to be focused on the south. So, um, so yeah. Okay. Uh, Anne-Marie Shellard, heartless, unfair, selfish. It's definitely woke me up to the celebs we know. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting how reluctant and how afraid um, people are to tackle any of this middle ground stuff. It's like, it's like there's a desire to shut people up from having these kind of difficult conversations uh, by, you know, shouting anti-Semitism or shouting you know, Islamophobia, you've got to get mucky in this stuff. And it's amazing how many celebs don't, you know, people of profile don't want to do it. So I turn the other cheek, Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. Anyway, okay. So let's have a little looky here. It's quiz of the week. Quiz of the week, guys, come on. Let's go into the weekend feeling fizzy. Feeling fizzy, feeling whizzy. Fizzy, fizzy, flizzy. Okay, let's do it. Quiz of the week. Get your pens and pencils ready. Get your paper and pens and pencils ready. Get your pens and pencils and papers and pens ready. Um, get well, here we go. Use your mobile phone, whatever. So it's quiz of the week. Let's crack on. All right, are we good? Are we good? Are we going to go into the first day of Vlogmas with a seven out of seven? I'm afraid to say there is a football question here. Okay, page one. A page of David Bowie's handwritten lyrics fetched $113,000 when they were sold at auction. The sheet contains the late singer's notes when creating his song, Rock and Roll Suicide, and which other track? So this thing that was, uh, this piece of paper, handwritten lyrics, uh, that was sold for $113,000, um, also featured notes on which other song? Was it A, Starman, B, Suffragette City, or C, The Gene Genie? Gene Genie. Was it Starman, Suffragette sh Shitty, or the Gene Genie? A, Starman, B, Suffragette Shitty, or City, or C, the Gene Genie? Here they come, just a walking down the street, singing A, or B, or C, da da dee do. It looks good, it looks good, it looks fine, it looks fine, everything. Sarah Fox is saying the Gene Genie, Margaret O'Brien, Gene Genie, Louise, Louise Cooper is saying Starman. Dawny Harvey's right. Suffragette City. B. 
Okay, here's your sporting question, guys. Sorry about this. England and Manchester United goalkeeper Mary Earps was named BBC Women's Footballer of the Year. Which of the following players did not make the shortlist? <laughs> A. Spain, Spain's Jenny Hermoso. B. Australia's Sam Kerr. Or C. Sweden's Fridolina Rolfo. Which of those three didn't make uh, Women's Footballer of the Year shortlist? A. Spain's Jenny Hermoso, B, Australia's Sam Kerr, or C, Sweden's Fridolina Rolfo. I went for a guess on this and I got it right. Teresa Hutchinson is saying A, Jenny Hermoso. Uh, Grace Ann Martin is saying A, Jenny Hermoso. And you would be, you would be, you would be right. Say, question three. The world's biggest iceberg started moving after more than 30 years being stuck to the ocean floor. What was the name of the Antarctic research station to which it used to be home? Was it A, Drusnaya 1, B, Shackleton, or C, Thule? It's a bit like The Thing, this, isn't it? There's a photograph of The Thing here. Do you remember that great movie by John Carpenter? Uh, what was the name of the Antarctic research station that was attached to the iceberg that's currently on its way to southeast London? Was it A, Drusnaya 1, B, Shackleton, or C, Thule? Siobhan Jordan is saying A. Margaret O'Brien is saying A. Grace Ann Martin is saying A. Dawny Harvey is saying Thule. Dawny Harvey got off to a fan fantastically sensational start, but you've fallen. You, fall you may have fallen at the last, but you've certainly fallen at this one. It's A. Drusnaya 1. Question four. A diplomatic row broke out between the British and Greek governments over the Elgin Marbles, also known as the Elgin Marbles. Now, partly in London's British Museum, the sculptures were originally designed for a temple in Athens. To which Greek god is the Parthenon dedicated? If Christos was here, he'd be screaming from the raft. In fact, he'd be screaming from the top of the Parthenon. Um, to which Greek god is the Parthenon dedicated? From which the Elgin marbles have been taken? Was it A, Aphrodite, B, Apollo, or C, Athena? Who remembers Athena postcards? Do you remember the Athena shop? That'd be quite a nice relaunch, wouldn't it? Athena. Whatever happened to Athena? They get gobbled up into paper chase. Sorry, just gone into corporate history. Uh, Reese Roberts says B, Apollo. Ramona Soroldi says C, Athena. Uh, Anna says Athena, and so does Louise Cooper, Margaret O'Brien, and Lucy May, and John Marston, and they're all right. It's Athena. Athena, Athens, Athena. Question five. The world's best-selling series of compilation albums, Now That's What I Call Music, celebrated its 40th birthday. Having recently released its 116th edition, which artist has appeared on Now compilations more than anyone else? Oh, I have to confess I never bought these. I was thought, I, I was never really a pop charts kind of person. Uh, anyway, who's appeared on these more than anyone else? A, Madonna, B, Kylie Minogue, or C, Robbie Williams? The Hirsute Hodger. He's got such a hairy chest, doesn't he? <laughs> Don't know why I thought I'd share that, but he has, isn't he? Hairy chest. Who likes a hairy back? Does anyone actually like a hairy back? Is that suggestive of, wow, you're like a silverback gorilla and I just want to cling on? Klingons, though, eh? Uh, Margaret O'Brien is saying, Kylie, I said Madonna. I said Madonna. Oh, look, Anne-Marie Schellard remembers now 25. I remember now 13. Flipping it. Uh, I've got now six, says Sarah Fox. Uh, not my girlfriend, no, Tony Harvey. Oh, you are a cart. 
No, says one in delay. The answer is Robbie Williams, C. Question six. Tributes were paid to former England football manager Terry Venables, who died at the age of 80 after a long illness. I mentioned him. He was a part of my football childhood, and I'm sad about that. A former England player, he managed a number of top clubs. Which was the first? Oh, I wonder. A, Crystal Palace, just down the road. B, Queen's Park Rangers, used to be just down the road when I was 10. Or C, Tottenham, wasn't down the road, but was my club of choice. A, Crystal Palace. First ever football match was Crystal Palace v Brighton. Nil-nil, the most boring experience of my entire life. Nearly put me off football. And all I remember was how awful the pies were and how smelly the toilets were and how awful the language was. Oh, Bonnie Delaney going straight in at A. Ramona Siroldi and Good Chip Lollipop, though, saying Queen's Park Rangers. I thought it was Queen's Park Rangers, uh, but it was Crystal Palace. Can you believe it? Crystal Palace. Good man. Final question. The COP28 climate, the COP28 climate change summit opened in Dubai with a confirmation that 2023 will be the hottest year on record, and that's not because it's wearing hot pants. In opening comments, UN Climate Secretary Executive Secretary Simon Steele quoted a Star Wars character. Wow, God Almighty! A Star Wars character was quoted in the opening of the COP28 climate summit. Which one was it? A. Darth Vader. B. Princess Leia. Or C. Yoda. Oh, crap is strong with that one. Oh, Edward Bevington. A, Darth Vader, B, Princess Leia, or C, Yoda. Well, this is the quote. This is what he, he led with. He said, do, do or do not. There is no try. Sorry, that was a bit more Obi-Wan, wasn't it? And that leads to hate, hate that leads to suffering. Do or do not, there is no try. There you go. Bit more kind of huggy bear. Huggy bear? No, fuzzy bear. What was the bear? What was the bear called in um, the Muppets? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, anyone get seven? Come on, quick, tell me. Gotta go. Come on, hurry up. Anyone get seven? Quick. Fuzzy, fuzzy bear. Thank you very much. Thanks, Edward Bevington. Anyone get seven? Come on, for God's sake, what's going on here? Gotta set up your premiere for your vlogmas. Oh, Elaine Denning, you gave up. What's that? You must never give up. Was it the football question? No, don't blame you. Uh, Lucy May's got one right. Uh, Dawny got 11. Anne got two. Grace Anne got five. Three. What comeback, Sarah Fox? That's not bad. Uh, Friday. Ramona Soroldi, thanks for making our Friday less fuck off. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, if you don't like Fridays, just tell it to fuck off. Feel free to tell Friday to fuck off. Friday will cope. There's a lot of fun Friday, fun fanatics out there keeping Friday very happy. So if you want to tell Friday to fuck off, just say fuck off Friday. It'll cope. It'll cope. We'll worry about Friday like it can't take it. Of course it can take it. I mean, eventually one day we're not even going to be able to insult bloody days of the week, are we? Uh, four, no one's got seven. Five out of seven. Grace Ann Martin, you, got, you, you, you win the crown for this morning. Guys, have a lovely day. See you or chat with you hopefully later today with Vlogmas One. It's arrived, Bill.